either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Getting close to Christmas now, so we're unwrapping a bunch of new stuff in the screening room. Definitely some Oscar contenders in here. Really something for everybody. Good, got a good variety this week, and welcome to it. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start out in Chicago, 1927, a recording session. Tensions rise between Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable Mother of the Blues. It's based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning August Wilson play, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. These records are going to be hits. Please come home to me. Every colored man in the world got to do his part. I'm going to tell the white man just what he can do. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. About them songs I give you. They're not the right songs. That'll take them off your hands for you. I got my time coming to me. You don't know nothing about what kind of blood I got, what kind of heart I got beat here. Now, this one actually comes out on Netflix on the 18th, but we're talking about it this week for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're on vacation next week. That's right. Talking about nothing. But it is out this week in select theaters across the country, including one here in Columbus, Ohio, so that you can see it on the big screen this week. Yeah, if you're in Columbus, you should go see it at Studio 35, and uh, you should see it one way or the other. Oh, no doubt about it. This is sure to have Oscar nominations. I think it's uh, a lock, and I know the the um, deadline this year is the end of February, which is later because of the uh, ceremony is going to be later because of COVID and everything, so there's there's still a lot of things to see, but I would I would be shocked if Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman don't both get nominations here, I would just be shocked. Yeah, I would be too. I wouldn't be surprised if the film got a nomination for Best Picture as well. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's, dire- it's directed by George Wolfe. <laughs> no <laughs> directed, relation. Directed by George C. Wolfe, yeah. It really is an astounding piece of work, especially with the cast, because it's not just the two the two leads, and they are, of course, phenomenal, but the ensemble cast is great as well. It's not that big of a cast, but especially when you're talking about the band members. You've got veterans like Glenn Turman and Coleman Domingo and um, Michael Potts play the other band members, and they are great. They're so good. They all just work so well together, mainly with Chadwick Boseman, because it's set up. It's early on, you can really feel that it was a play. Because it's set up there. The band is in a downstairs rehearsal room. A basement crappy. Yeah. yeah. Getting ready for a recording session with Ma Rainey, who, of course, is a real-life uh, mother of the blues. One of the first blues singers to record back in the day. And her record sold, which meant she got treated very well by the white record producers and studio managers. At and- least until they got it on record. Exactly. And then they wanted her out the door. Right. And she... She took advantage of her leverage with them, but she had no illusions about why she had that leverage. No. And it, and you can see that in her face. Viola Davis is so great. I mean, that's telling nobody anything. Right. We, we know that, right? She's just fantastic, and she's so great in this role. And there's such a—George uh, Wolf, the director, really makes good use of this spatial divide. 
and, and it becomes such a metaphor. You know, they're down in the basement. She's upstairs. She's not messing with, you said, a dirty basement. Uh, she's Ma Rainey, and she's going to come in and tell it what's what. But you've got this new trumpet player, Levy, played by Chadwick Boseman. He's younger than the rest of the band. He's brash. He's ambitious, and he has ideas for not only how Ma Rainey's songs could be improved, but how maybe he's going to break away and record some of his own songs. And, of course, she'd have, she's not playing that at all. So they become adversaries a little bit, and they're, they're so great working together. And really, as you pointed out, and I totally agree with, it's Chadwick Boseman's character, Levy. His arc is the soul of the film. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, as you said earlier today, it's a sentimental notion that this is Chadwick Boseman's best performance, but it simply is. I mean, it just absolutely is. It is a mesmerizing performance, and there are so many ups and downs in the delivery of this and in sort of the emotional punch it, this character uh, delivers, and, and God, Boseman is just on fire. He really, the, the, how he takes his character from that, that, that braggadocio, that young, he's just full of, you know, so many goals, and then what happens to his character is not only heartbreaking, but it's doubly heartbreaking because you know this is his last role. Right. And it reminds you how just how how good he was in pretty much everything. But boy, this is such a bittersweet send-off for him. And again, the whole ensemble is great. And if you know August Wilson at all, you may have seen Fences. That was also based on a play mm -hmm. of his. And this movie, by the way, uh, one of the producers is Denzel Washington. But... This is another case where he is so good at creating characters and dialogue and in intimate situations that speak to the black experience in America. And here it's more specifically about black artists and the sad legacy of exploitation, appropriation and outright thievery. And the way that especially this was the 1920s, it was just customary. It was just kind of thoughtless process to take advantage in any way possible. And and I think that that, while it, does it doesn't really overshadow the film, the film is a character study about two specific people, but it, it gives it uh, an underpinning that's very important, and it helps to explain, without hitting you over the head, why Ma Rainey has that look on her face. Yeah. You know, and it would be easy to come into it thinking, wow, Ma Rainey was such a diva, but when you just spend one minute with this character, you recognize that this is this is just survival is what this is. And as you said earlier, I mean, Viola Davis, she is she is in the, the top two, three all time. My favorite actors. I think she's just magnificent. And this is such a great performance from her. Well, and it's been a while since we gave her the F the middle initial. She is for sure. Viola F. Davis. No question. Long time ago. Uh, and also what this movie might do. It's kind of a side note is get more people interested in learning about Ma Rainey. Oh, As yeah. you did, you, you found something about her last time we went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you find out just a, a fascinating life. Yes, and a, yes. Yeah, and a fascinating talent. So it might uh, serve to get more people interested in her as well. But such a movie that is so worth seeing. Again, it's going to be on Netflix starting on the 18th. But if you're lucky enough to be in a market... Uh, as we are, to have it on your local big screen and you feel like going out, definitely do. Either way, though, you should for sure see Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Let's do Hope's favorite genre next, the musical. It's a trope <laughs> of hilariously self-obsessed theater stars swarming into a small conservative Indiana town in support of a high school girl who wants to take her girlfriend to the prom. This is The Prom. We have come to this community behalf of a young girl. I just want to go to prom like any other kid. You're not alone. And you do have friends. And we are ride or die. Where are they? Okay, well, let's give this 
will be a kick-ass prom in Edgewater, Indiana for everybody. I know it. Now, I didn't even know that Ryan Murphy was responsible for Glee. Yeah, he was uh, right around I didn't know. Yeah. I, I know him from American Horror Story, yeah, of course, because sure. American Horror Story, much more up my alley. Glee, I couldn't possibly have made it through a single episode of Glee. <laughs> um, and I say that primarily to, for any of you who might be interested in this movie, I enjoyed it. And it couldn't be less my bag. It yeah. couldn't be less my bag. That is true. You're not a fan of musicals. Uh, I'm the musical fan, but... I was watching something else at the time that you're even less of a fan of that we'll talk about in a little bit. So uh, you drew this one. And, I did. Yeah, I was surprised that you enjoyed it as much as you did because overall, it's not getting great reviews. And I don't think you think it's a great movie. Oh, not at all. Oh, God, no. But it's fun. And part of what makes it fun is this cast. And, and that's the thing, right? Because it probably does feel like an extended Glee episode. With Meryl Streep. <laughs> Meryl F. Streep. She's in it. Nicole Kidman is in it. Carrie Washington. James Corden. Uh, Keegan-Michael uh, Keegan Key. Key. Oh, my God. Keegan-Michael yeah. Key gets to kiss Meryl Streep. Tracy How Ullman. How great is that, Tracy Ullman? Mary-Kate Place. It's oh quite my a God. cast. It's quite a cast. And they are clearly having a great time. And, and they are... That's the thing is if you think that the movie is just sort of uh, one of those uh, like hammer at home about small town, small minds, you know, it does that a little bit, too. But it's just as it's just as, you know, funny in the way it skewers uh, self-obsessed celebrities. Yeah. And uh, oh, my God, Meryl Streep is a stitch. <laughs> She's so funny. And uh, and Nicole Kidman is great as well. I mean, as you expect, right, this cast is really funny. They are uh, Broadway stars who just came off of the opening night of Eleanor, the Eleanor Roosevelt story. <laughs> and Meryl Streep is Eleanor, and uh, James Corden is FDR. And the reviews are scathing. <laughs> and so, and because the reviews basically are saying that the two of them are narcissists. So they're like, well, we'll prove we're not narcissists. Let's just pick a cause. Let's become activists. And so on Twitter, they find out about this girl in a small town in Indiana who's not going to be allowed to bring her girlfriend to the prom. So they decide, what? And they come, you know, with pickets and songs and dances. And, uh, and it's, it's the wrong move. Uh, and that's really what the movie is, is this culture clash. And, and, and it's, it's just as much about how this bubble elite condescends to and misunderstands their, uh, this, you know, the, the Indiana group, as it is these uh, very conservative people are, are just not thinking, just not thinking outside the box to understand that they're just as closed-minded as anybody. So... And he makes light of it. You know, it's fun. It's not really heavy with the politics in any way. And um, and it's just, you know, it's it's fun. It's not great. But even so, even though it's not heavy, it draws attention to the fact that really when you break it down, even in, in such hyper-partisan political climate that we have now, it's increasingly no longer really Democrats versus Republicans. It's rural versus the cities. Yeah. And you've got these two clashing here. And let's face it, celebrities poking fun at themselves is almost always endearing. Oh, yeah. There are, there's there's at one point in the movie, Meryl Streep's character says, well, I'm a very good actress. And I just laughed out loud <laughs> because yes, you are. You're Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a bit of a glitter bomb for uh, for a musical about the prom. And again, you're not saying it's great, but you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, a, it's not great. And it for is... a non-musical fan to enjoy it, I think that's I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Yeah, and that is the prom. Let's get more serious with uh, a 1970s set crime drama. A woman is forced to go on the run after her husband betrays his partner, sending her and her baby on a dangerous journey. It's I'm Your Woman. Something happened tonight. You'll work out with Cal where you're going to go. 
Who the hell is Cal? Where is Eddie? I'm Cal. Is Eddie okay? You know what Eddie is. That he's a thief? Yes, I know what Eddie is. Is anybody looking? Everyone's looking. And they're looking for you too. You're not to talk to anyone. I've never been on my own. Why did Art show me how to use a gun? I just thought you should be prepared for what comes next. What comes next? This one's on, on Amazon Prime, and here's here's my favorite thing about this movie. And there are so many times where I've thought this, where you watch a crime drama, you watch a 1970s gangster movie, and there are characters in the room that are just there, they're just sort of cardboard cutouts. You know, and this movie says, I wonder what that person is thinking right now. I wonder what the mobster's wife is thinking about all this. And it turns out that it's quite fascinating. Yeah, it's almost like we've done podcasts before where we've talked about smaller characters that we'd like to see have their own origin story or their own movie. This does. It flips it around because really we've seen this movie a thousand times from the other side. Uh, it's a it's a crook. We're not sure exactly his his wife, who's the main character here, played by Rachel Brosnahan from the uh, show The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, mm-hmm. which we've never seen. We've heard it's very good, right? And she's very good in this movie. And she's the wife, and she just knows her husband steals things. That's all she really knows. And he comes home with a baby one day and says, "We have a baby." Uh, okay, so now they have a baby, and it, it's not too long after that that he disappears. And then, of course, his partners, everybody comes looking for him, and they can't find him. They come looking for her, thinking they can find him, and, of course, the money that he has somewhere, or they're convinced he did. So she has to learn to do for herself, which she did basically nothing for. She didn't didn't even drive. And she's got this baby now, and then she's finding out along the way a lot of things she didn't know about her husband's past and people he was involved with in the past, and... She has to learn about that, about herself, and how to stay alive and keep her her new baby and some of these new friends alive, too. So it hits a lot of familiar notes, but as we just said, it hits them from a different angle. And that just feels so fresh because, like, yeah, how come we've never really looked at it like this before? Uh, It does fall into some cliches here and there, but there are some of those really shockingly sudden violent moments. Um, that we've talked about in some other movies that that, that uh, we like, that all of a sudden, like, oh, you know, wow. Yeah. That just, uh, you know, shakes you right up like a slap in the face. Has a couple of those. I think Drive did that best. Yeah, Drive did, and there's been a bunch of them. But it always, if you don't quite see it coming, yeah. anytime it surprises you like that. But uh, So it is definitely rated R. It's definitely violent, and they do the 70s crime setting quite well. Like we, like I said, it does fall into cliche a little bit, but the lead, uh, the lead performance by Rachel Brosnahan is very good. The, the director and co-writer is Julia Hart, and so she's def- definitely coming at this from a female perspective. And I think all the better for it. So yeah, it's uh, it's solid. It is worth checking out. It's on Amazon Prime called "I'm Your Woman." Next is the story of new parents, Adrienne and Matteo. They're forced to reckon with trauma amidst their troubled relationship. They must revisit the memories of their past and unravel haunting truths in order to face their uncertain future. It's Wander Darkly. What do you think happens when you die? What if it's some extension or manifestation of your fears? What's happening to me? Give me your hand. It's too late. You're not dead yet. This wasn't the beginning of the end. This was the moment when I told you. I love you. Sienna Miller is 
one of those actors who can in every conceivable way, disappear into a role. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've watched a movie and thought that person was great and then later realized it was Sienna Miller. Well, I think we were talking about this. We think that's probably a good reason why she continues to really fly more under the yep. radar than she deserves to because she's she's consistently good. Yeah, she is. Even in bad movies. Yeah. And she's fantastic here. She is so good. I think she's award-worthy good. Maybe as good as I've ever seen her. And she drives this movie. And uh, she plays Adrienne and her, it's not her husband, but her, her boyfriend, Mateo. And they have a new baby. And they have a new mortgage. They just bought a house. But yet she's feeling like maybe maybe they're not going to make it. Maybe they should split up. And they're out on uh, one of their rare date nights. And it's going wrong. And they're arguing. And then, boom, they get caught in this badly bloody accident, car accident. And when she wakes up, dazed and disoriented, she's convinced that she has died. And it's then up to Mateo, mainly, and then other family and friends, to try to convince her that she hasn't died, that she is recovering in the real physical world, as she hears people in the background whisper about psychiatrists and what she might need to get better. And then we basically take a trip back through flashbacks to the couple's history together, the meeting and getting together, all the things that they experience. But it's interesting because... You're doing that while they are still commenting in present day. So it's like if we were here acting out something from our past and then all of a sudden break and just so, no, that's not the way I remembered it. And didn't you do this here? So that that is fascinating. If if a little bit gimmicky as it goes along and the writer director here is Tara Millet. Hope I pronounced that right. And so some of these these flashbacks, they, they morph. They morph into the next one very stylishly. You know, you might be in an apartment and all of a sudden the floor turns to salt water and you're, you're on a beach. Mm -hmm. So it's very seamless that way as it goes along and you start learning about their past. And the way that Sienna Miller and her, her boyfriend, Mateo, is played by Diego, Di Luna. Diego Luna, who's also very he's, good. I love him. Yeah, he's very good, too. But she drives this thing because the, the cascade of emotions that she goes through in, in trying to manifest the emotional trauma into a physical trauma is not easy. Mm -hmm. And to not make it look like you're pouring it on too much, just overdoing it. And she doesn't. It's so it's so authentic. She's so great in this. It leads to a finale that maybe you will sniff out. Even if you don't, it gets a little, maybe a little hallmarky. I don't know, just, just a little bit. And I think that the finale may not, it probably doesn't deliver on the profundity that you were hoping it would. But yeah, I think it's still worth seeing. I definitely do, especially for her performance. We'll see. This might be a, a smaller movie, but we'll see if she gets some awards consideration uh, at the end of the year. I definitely think she deserves it. It's Sienna Miller leading Wander Darkly, and it is another one available on Prime. And it's not it's a 599er, so I definitely I think it's definitely worth that. Did you say niner? I did. <laughs> How about we check in with a pair of star-crossed lovers in Ireland, don't you know? Getting caught up in their family's land dispute. This is Wild Mountain Time. Are you going to leave the farm to Anthony? I don't see a clear path. From where to where? From me to you. My cousin is coming. Get out from the farm to an American. I'm waiting for that one. What are you waiting for? Me, I don't wait. I do like that. You should come to New York sometime. Anthony will never marry. If it comes to that, I'll freeze my eggs. You should freeze your whole body if you're waiting for that one. It was he that kissed me! That's what's got him worked up! 
I don't understand you people. Why do you make everything so hard? You just seem to accept these crazy things. I don't like a fight. Well, who does? Half of Ireland, just not me. How many days do we have while the sun shines? It's not shining. I believe that it is. Will you well, one of us still has their papers in trying to get Irish citizenship thanks to their grandparents. When are we going to hear about that? I don't know. <laughs> but this is right up your alley, but too many shenanigans here. Oh, my God. This is, um, I mean, this is as Irish as uh, an Irish spring ad. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's so, it, it just ladles it on so thick, so thick. And it is a very pretty movie to watch. Um, uh, partly because of the just verdant, you know, lush farms where they set this, and partly because it stars, you know, Emily Blunt and and uh, and Jamie Dornan and John Hamm. I mean, it's just a very and attractive. Christopher Walken, yeah, he's known good. Irishman, known Irishman. That's <laughs> and he has the opening lines in voiceover, and the first thing he says is "Welcome to Ireland," and I'm like, oh, that's. Christopher Walken, <laughs> he's so Irish. And then that's the thing is that, you know, that brogue, if that's what you want to call it, I mean, you, you get it in like, you know, one sentence and then the whole rest of the time is just Christopher Walken talking. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's ludicrous beyond measure. The storyline, I mean, in certain parts, you're like, I'm sorry, what? And it's writer-director John Patrick Shanley. Who so who wrote and directed Doubt based on his own stage play, yeah. Doubt. Oh, and so this good. is again, this is based on a stage play that mm-hmm. he that he wrote. And so I can I can see how he got this cast, and they must have read the script and thought, what the hell? Especially when it takes a turn that we're not gonna give away, but you're like, what? Yeah, I, what, what did he say? Uh, yeah, the so so Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt play neighbors, the farms that they grew up on, you know, butt up against each other, and that she's loved him since she was born, essentially, and he he's just funny. There's something odd about him, and so he doesn't love anybody. Now the whole film. It, it felt to me like, for a very long time, like a fairy tale sort of analogy about homosexuality, that he was eventually going to come out, which is, which is not what it is, which is shocking, because it's the only thing that could possibly have made any sense, is if they just turned <laughs> this analogy into some sort of weird fairy tale set in Ireland, and that's not where they go with it, and it's just... I can't even tell you. I just kept expecting the Lucky Charm Leprechaun to pop in <laughs> at any minute. It, uh, it's it's nonsense. It's such nonsense. Which doesn't say it's not at least partly charming. You know, I mean, Emily Blunt is always wonderful, no matter what she does. She's very good here. John Hamm, he plays what he always plays, right? Just the the good looking jerk. Now he doesn't play an Irishman. He doesn't. He plays an American who's flying to Ireland to marry an Irish lass. Mm-hmm. Because that happens. <laughs> it's so ludicrous. I mean, I can't remember the last time I just kept watching it going, I I can't even believe this is really a movie. And this is another one that's out in select theaters. It is in weekend. select theaters. And I'll tell you, if you're going to have to, I mean, if you want to see it, at least see it on the screen because it's, it's very, very pretty. Yeah, and that is Wild Mountain Time. Let's go Disney next. The story of Ray McElrathby, a freshman football player for Clemson who secretly raised his younger brother on campus after his home life became too unsteady. It's called safety. Now, Ray, these scholarships are yearly. You perform on the field, you perform in the classroom, and if you don't, they take that all away. Yes, coach. We'll be placing Faymar in foster care. Can't I just have a family member watch me? It's cool. Should be getting back to school anyway. I'll be good. Something in me's awakening. 
Uh-huh. Wait. I'll take them. This is the one I I wanted to watch less than I wanted to watch a musical <laughs> from the guy who made Glee because <laughs> this is one of those as from for, you know from an outsider's perspective having not seen it I thought to myself this is going to be another one of those neutered Hallmark Channel Disney-fied sports movies and I've seen more of those than I can take. Yeah, and that's what it is and it is a based on a true story. Uh, back in 2006, Ray played for Clemson, and he had to take on custody of his younger brother due to the the home life, their mother's uh, drug abuse. And, of course, they Disney-fy it up in a lot of ways. They First of all, they make it so that he was having to sneak his brother in and hide him, which never did happen, uh, according to the real story. He was upfront about it uh, from the get-go. And he ended up getting a rare waiver from the NCAA to allow this, to allow him to use his, the support he was getting, the scholarship, to also help his brother. So, anyway, that is a good story. They just Disney-fy it all up. It's it's very, the, any of the rough edges are sanded down. Of course, he has to have the um, upperclassman football player who hates him at first, and then they're going to be buddies. <gasps> we need a frenemy. And he's got a girlfriend who they don't even kiss. Oh, uh, that happens on campus a lot. <laughs> and, you know, the real nastiness of or seriousness of very real issues of his home life are, right. are, of course, watered down, everything. And really what's played up is the the, the brotherhood of sport, um, which, you know, you know how big a sports fan I am. I'm all about that. And the sports segments do look good. Of course, Clemson was all about it. I'm sure they gave him every right they, they uh, asked for to be represented here in this movie. So uh, the football stuff... And I guess Disney is going to do 30 or 40 spin-off TV series based on this later. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, so the uh, the football stuff looks good, but uh, yeah, you, you take a story, and just as you thought, they're going to they're gonna Disney-fy it, water it down. You can see it, where it's going, even if you don't know the true story. Everything is very manipulated. Everything is very broadly drawn. And, you know, safety is called that because he's giving his 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 brother safety and he played safety but it's also of course the way they play this movie yeah uh, so it's a very apt very apt a title all the way around for this uh, it is a good story though and uh, it's on disney plus right now and it's called safety next is the story of max fist claiming to be a hero from another dimension who fell through time and space to earth where he has no powers no one believes his stories except for a local teen named hamster this is called Arch Enemy. Hey! Oh, you're the dude who says he's from another planet. You got superpowers, right? Come on, I just want to hear your story. My city was named Chromium. So that's where you're from? They had to invent things to hurt me. Intelligent asteroids, killer robots. Super villains? Say super one more time. Oh, okay, okay. You're risking our lives to hang out with some homeless man? Max didn't have to do any of this to help us. They will find you and they will kill you. So what are we supposed to do? You fight the war. Get Max Fist. This is the latest from writer-director Adam Egypt Mortimer, who did Daniel Isn't Real, yes. a film that we're pretty familiar yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. And this is one, I'll tell you, early on, I was, uh, it. it's not great, but it got me more, more invested, despite the eye-rolling moments, the more it went along. I guess just how it was committed to its somewhat outlandish take on the genre here. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's like a comic book film, very, very low-budget comic book film. And one of the things that is interesting is that it's not actually based 
on anything, any source material, which is, that I think, surprised me. and I think serves it pretty well because it means that it can just be making shit up as it goes along. Yeah, I really thought it would. I thought, well, he must be a, a character from some, but from all that we can find out, he, he isn't. Max Fist. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and the way that it, you know, it, it begins with a little bit of animation and sometimes it sort of crosses back over into animation. Not often, but I think it serves it pretty well because what you're basically questioning the whole time is whether the story that this guy is telling is true if he was a superhero and he's crossed over to this dimension, right? Or whether he is a paranoid schizophrenic who lives under a bridge. And I feel like that question is somewhat well handled in this because in a in a very real sense, you're you're either in his perspective, so you don't really know, or you're in the perspective of an idealistic teenager who wants to be a storyteller and wants to be a famous storyteller. So the fact is you never really have uh, in terms of perspective, a, a logical grounding. And I think that is a weird place to try to film a movie, but I think it succeeds um, in, in, with this with this material. Uh, Max Fist is played by Joe Manganiello, and he's pretty good. He's definitely committed here all the way into this gruff, he's gruff anti-hero who's now just a big drunk because he doesn't have his powers, and he, and he gets drawn into this kid, and his kid situation ends up helping him. And you know, it, it takes a stab at social commentary, which is not always 100% successful, but other times you're like, okay. Yeah. It just, it goes up and down. It has its moments. For, to me, it it opened weekly and, and got better as it went along. At least I got I got more invested in it. Yeah, I mean, there are some, especially in terms of uh, of the, the two teenage characters and their, their backstory are just some gaping holes in logic. Just some, oh, that's... Well, that worked out yeah. well for you. So <laughs> yeah. real contrivances. Um, but, uh, but you know, comic books set things like that up, too. I mean, right. I really Which sort of felt like it was just going with that theme pretty well. Mm-hmm. And try to maybe even making a comment on the whole comic book genre. Right. And, and what, uh, what, ha- what, uh, and what we often see in those movies. Yeah, we should mention the two kids. Uh, Hamster is Skylin Brooks, and then Indigo, his sister, is Zoli Griggs. And uh, then we get a nice um, a nice appearance by Amy Seinmetz at the end. Yeah. And this is another Niner, 599er on, uh, on Prime <laughs> Video. So especially if you like the comic book feeling uh, type of movies here, it might be one worth checking out. And it is, uh, well, this actually, this is not rated, but it's got some violence in yeah, it. Yeah, I would say yeah. it's probably rated R. Although I don't think, I think there's not as much foul language as you might expect. And there's not a lot of blood, really, but there are some pretty grim moments. So yeah. it's hard to tell whether it would have gotten a PG-13 or an R, but just keep that in mind. Yeah, and that's Arch Enemy. Back to comedy next, uh, or the attempt at it. The story of a disaffected comedy actress and her ambitious stand-in trading places. It's called The Stand-In. The Today Show wants an interview. Lewis is getting offers for personal appearances. I could stand in for you. We could split the money. Sure. You seem to like being candy more than I ever did. People love a redemption story. Ooh. We're so glad she's back. I turn it up. So the person that I've been dealing with these last couple of weeks is a stand-in, not you? I mean, she looks like me. Your voice, uh, you sound like... No, this is the real me. Candy Black is here tonight to apologize. That's what I'm most sorry for. She looks amazing. I need to know who did that nose. Last week we ended the podcast on a high note because uh-huh. we realized that last week, even though there were a ton of movies, about 15 movies... All of them were good. All of them were positive reviews. Three stars was the lowest rating. Well, that that ended pretty abruptly. We've had some bad movies this week, 
And these next two, they're the worst. Yeah. Uh, this is one where you've seen these trading places types of movies. Um, they, they look alike. Drew Barrymore plays both parts. She's the star who's, who's uh, jaded now about her stardom and her career. And then she also plays the stand-in. And oops, they get switched. It's so bad. I mean, the thing is, part of the problem is that it's clear before you see the opening scene, that's what's going to happen. I mean, there's no question that that's what's going to happen. It takes 45 minutes for that to happen. It takes 45 minutes before the story even begins. We watched this movie for... I don't need to say it again, no. but it's a very long first act and a very boring first act. It, you know, And, and the, the thing about it is that there's not one actual laugh... To be had in this movie. And I was very surprised by that. Because first of all, Drew Barrymore, she's very likable. She's very charming. And I generally, even, she makes a lot of bad movies. But for me, she's usually the high point in those bad movies. But the writer, Sam Bain, wrote Four Lions. He's done a lot of TV. But a few years back, 2003, I think, he wrote a movie called Four Lions, which is one of the smartest most brilliantly written satires I have ever seen. I love, love, love that movie. And Jamie Babbitt, the director, did But I'm a Cheerleader, Mm -hmm. which is another satirical, interesting, funny movie. Now, both of those films, they're not going to appeal to everybody, and not everybody is going to see them as comedies necessarily. However, they're smart, and they are uh, they do have social commentary, and, and they're very well-made films. This is none of those things. Yeah. I can't figure out what it was even trying to be, because um, it's not... There's a romantic comedy angle. It's the weakest of all the options, if you're going to try to categorize this movie, even though that's really Drew Barrymore's area. Oh, yeah. It may have tried to be a satire, sort of, to send up the uh, the industry itself, but it, it's definitely too dumb. Uh, it's, it, <laughs> it, there's some lampooning going on, especially they have this sort of montage of Drew Barrymore's, the actress she plays. She's got one line that she repeats in every single film. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so you think that it's trying to sort of lampoon that kind of Chevy Chase Farley-esque sort of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but, but that definitely lands flat. The only thing I can think of is trying to be a dark comedy, and I mainly say that because both characters that Drew Barrymore plays are completely loathsome, <laughs> loathsome human beings that you don't, so you don't root for either side of this yeah. equation, which is, makes it a really hard movie to watch. Yeah, Plus, just, there's not a single laugh. That's tough when you're trying to be a comedy. No laugh. So, no good for the stand-in, but it is a niner, five ninety nine on Amazon Prime Video. Next, in the aftermath of a traumatic event, a suburban husband and father buys a cutting-edge home security system only to find that it slowly destroys that which he most wants to protect. Bad impulse. Your home encased in a dome of protection, distinguishing between your wanted guests and the unwanted violators of your sacred space. Our transmitter and microchip are atomically synchronized. No one else can wear this anklet now. It makes you safe. Isn't that what you want? These anklets, they're doing something to us. We just gave you what you asked for. We gave this one to Brandon Thomas. I had the feeling from the trailer it wasn't going to be a stellar film, but I asked him if he wanted it because he does sometimes like those, you know, sort of not necessarily great, gritty thriller type things, you know. And this one, I think part of the problem is they couldn't really decide what it wanted to be. It's a horror film that seems like it's a horror film made by people who don't like horror movies and so they don't commit. And that's part of the biggest problem. But He hated it. He hated it. He it's hated unlikable. It. It's it's badly written. It's badly performed. It's bad. Yeah, he, he hated it. He thought it was trying to do some horror and some social commentary and failed miserably at both. But you can read his complete 
written review. It's up now at madwolf.com, and that's Bad Impulse. And one more, a single woman focused on her career in New York is forced to deal with the aftermath of a failed relationship when an ex-boyfriend hires her company. This is modern persuasion. Owen Jasper is dating your assistant? What better way for me to get over my first love than to watch him fall in love with someone else? My CFO will be here shortly. Ren, will you greet him? Sure. Right, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. There's a total vibe, totes possible vibe. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? No one it's right to move on. You're asking the wrong person. Sometimes it can be hard to get over someone. He obviously still has feelings for you. You're standing there moping when you should be deciding whether or not he's good enough for you. I can do this, right? Yes, I can. And the title is Modern Persuasion because it's an update rewrite of Jane Austen's Persuasion. And this one was covered by our writer, Kat McAlpine. I think the biggest problem with the film is uh, certainly it was what Kat thought was the biggest problem with the film is that what Jane Austen does probably better than anybody is is create this tremendous longing and yearning among her characters. And that's what the main character needs to have and simply doesn't. There's no chemistry between mm-hmm. the two leads. And the movie is only an hour and 20 minutes long and it just bites off more than it can possibly chew, let alone digest in, t- in an hour and 20 minutes. You know what's nice, though? B.B. Newworth sighting. Nice. That's a good thing. Uh, yeah, you can read Cat's uh, written review up now at madwolf.com, and that's Modern Persuasion. All right, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, how about this? Time to schlock and roll all night and party every day. No, that doesn't work. No? Well. <laughs> you like rock out with the schlock out. Yep. All right, we'll stick with that. <laughs> Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, is back to uh, talk about the latest movie news. And boy, I don't know, it, we, we probably don't have time to go over everything that Disney announced yesterday. They, they got plans. Oh, God, yes. They had their big investors meeting, which, of course, they televised online. And they probably made about 100 announcements. Jeez. A lot of it was TV stuff, but I can do a lightning round if you want. Okay, a lightning round. Yeah, go ahead. Well, Indiana Jones 5 is confirmed for summer 2022. It'll be Ford West time in the role. There's a Buzz, Buzz Lightyear movie coming in 2022. Yay! Yeah, we're excited about that. We're excited <laughs> about a, that. Let me go back to Indiana okay. Jones for a second. Now, correct me if sure. I'm wrong. On the one with Sean Connery, The Last Crusade, Indy, he drank from the cup, which I thought <laughs> meant he will not age. Is that not right? Well, it means he won't die. Well, I suppose you could age. I thought they said he wouldn't age. Mm. He could live forever as long as he didn't leave the temple, as long as he didn't cross. Oh, the oh it was only leaving the temple. There you go. Okay. Yeah. All right. Way I... to out-nerd us, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> a little All right. bit. A little bit. All right. So we got we got Indy. We got Lightyear. Excited about that. What else? We've got a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special for December 2022. I know you like your holiday specials. Yeah, I, I hear they're all going over to Chewy's. <laughs> they may, maybe they will. Um, Patty Jenkins is directing the next Star Wars movie for December 2023. Yeah. Marvel reaffirmed a bunch of the 2021 and 2022 dates. There's not really any point in covering those yet, but they did add a Fantastic Four movie without a date. That's probably 2023. Fourth time's the charm, maybe. <laughs> we shall see. But uh, you've also got a Little Mermaid movie, a live-action remake on the way with Melissa McCarthy and Aquafina and Javier Bardem at some point. Oh, okay. A, I like the sound of so that. So we started with an eye roll, and then at the end I'm like, okay, I'll yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> How about a Chippendale's Rescue Rangers movie from the Lonely Island crew? No. 
<laughs> How about an alien TV series on FX? Maybe. How about Hocus Pocus 2 for Disney Plus? No. <laughs> How about Sister Act 3 for no. Disney Plus? <laughs> How about a Turner and Hooch TV series for oh, Disney Plus? Oh, man. Really? Um, I can't believe Willow... anybody remembers that movie. Turner and Hooch. Uh, I mean, I remember it, but not all that well. Uh, there's a Willow sequel series and a Mighty Ducks sequel series heading to Disney Plus. And they've got a bunch of cartoon spinoff shows like Princess and the Frogs, Utopia, Moana, all that. They announced... Ten separate Marvel shows or miniseries for Disney Plus for the next two years, and an additional ten Star Wars ones on top of that. I'm not going to go into all those because it's a bit like like an Oprah show. You know, you get a spinoff, you get a spinoff, you get a spinoff. You just keep on going. Right. On the behind the scenes end, there were two interesting developments. I guess um, longtime Pixar director Pete Docter has been made head of Pixar, mm. which I guess lessens the sting a bit of Soul just going straight to Disney Plus. And the fun one is that Pixar and overall Disney animator Jennifer Lee has been made CCO of Walt Disney Animation Studios, which makes her the very first animator to run Walt Disney Animation Studios. Wow. wow nice. All right. Always been regular executives. I like that. And Yeah. And that, that's pretty much it. Um, that's a lot. I think it took them four hours to announce everything. Holy moly. Literally. Well, there's definitely stuff there to get excited about for sure. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they have everything. Anybody that wants to check out the entire list, I'm sure they can find it online pretty easily. Yeah. All right. Well, we are off next week, so we'll talk to you back, uh, I guess, Christmas week. Always great stuff from Daniel Baldwin. You can find him at The Schlocketeer. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Well, as we said, we are on vacation next week. Somebody is having a big birthday. What? Uh, But we'll be back Christmas week, and we are hoping, against hope, to see Wonder Woman early. We'll let you know if we do that. But there's some other big Christmas uh, releases coming out that we've already seen. Yeah. We can talk about Soul. We can talk about News of the World. We can talk about Promising Young Woman. Yeah, and there's a lot to talk about there. So uh, until then, thank you for stopping by. Always appreciate it. Do us a favor if you would. Kind of a Christmas gift to us or a birthday gift if you like. Uh, (laughs) Subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, we appreciate it always. Uh, So until next time, Christmas week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.